Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. I'm delighted to say that my first guest has a CV that any jockey would envy. He has had to retire very recently on medical advice, prior to which he became one of the youngest jockeys ever to ride a winner at the Cheltenham Festival when at just 17 years old he steered K. Rwani to victory in the Coral Cup. Subsequent to that, he switched his attentions to the flat and rode over 1,200 winners, including very productive spells abroad, most notably in Japan. He is a, uh, unique amongst his counterparts as not only having ridden winners at the Cheltenham Festival and Royal Ascot, but also having ridden grade one winners over jumps and on the flat, there was so much more to come, but sadly his career has been curtailed on medical advice. And now there are many things promised to him in the game. He is, of course, Fran Berry. Fran, welcome to Luck on Sunday. Morning, Nick. Yeah, great to be here. And great to have you here. I, probably quite a difficult time for you in many respects, but to what extent have you, have you reconciled yourself to the idea that, that riding is done and the next chapter is, a, is about to open? Um, I think once... You- decision was made by the surgeon that was it you know the, the previous month or six weeks he he put me on notice dr fye um i obviously got to fall in wolverhampton i was in hospital for five days got home and uh, i've dealt with it before so was, you know he sent he got my mri scans had a look over them and they uh, sent a report back to the team at oxy house my physio emma edwards and she said he might might not like to hear this um uh, i said go on anyway and uh, your injuries are xyz and uh, in the meantime uh, I'll see Fran in three weeks' time, but uh, it, it might be time to start thinking about a new career for him, you know. So from from that point on, I I knew I might be in trouble medically, and uh, I just wanted to kick into rehab. And I was in Oxford, I was five days a week, mm. two three hours a day. But um, it, that was the worst time that month or six weeks between between that and the you know, announcement because you're trying to battle against your body and uh, try to tell people that you're connected with that you're going to be back at a, at the end of April, and you know. But you know. You're, not, you're struggling a bit with it. So what what was the most serious injury? What was the, essentially the injury that, that stopped you? Yeah, I did two fractures in my neck. I um, fractured C2, C3 vertebrae. Mm. You know, they're quite high, and uh, my movement upwards is is not good at all. So to get into, first of all, to get into a riding position, get down low and look between the horse's ears, I wouldn't have that movement. And uh, there's quite a bit of damage from the actual fall itself with ligaments and things. So... I don't think the strength would ever be there, you know, to take in our impact and, uh, you know, a combination of being able to do your job with the movement and then, you know, the risk of, you know, further injury or more serious injury with a weakened neck, you know. So it's going to take a lot of rehab to get back to normal, you know. How are you feeling in yourself? Uh, very good now. It's done, you know. it's As I said, that month, six weeks was a pure turmoil. You know, you're panicking. You don't know what's going on. And, uh, you know, all you, all you want to do is the season season gets going. All you want to do is get riding, get going again. But... You know, when Dr. Fye put me on notice, I um, had to go the other route and uh, 
look at think outside the box and uh, thankfully when I asked a few people about if I wasn't going back riding would would the opportunities be there to move on and you know to have that uh, you know when people said yes to a couple of things it was a big comfort. So you were able to you were able to move on and move forward. Does it make it easier in a sense that although you're young, your career started very young. You know, 15, 16 when you were riding your first winner, you rode a Cheltenham winner at 17. Does that make it easier in a sense because you've accomplished so much? Yeah, I don't actually feel like I missed out a lot. You know, there's nothing that I can, uh, you know, uh, that I can say, God, I really need to do that again or, or get a go at that. You know, I would love to obviously ride a Breeders' Cup or a Melbourne Cup, but with the exception of them two things, it, there's nothing. I had a 23-year career went far better than I thought it could ever have went starting off. So um, in that regard, um, I'm very grateful for that. Everyone knows your your father, Frank, who himself was a multiple champion jockey. Was it always written in the stars? Was it predestined that you were going to follow in his footsteps? Yeah, um, we just had ponies from day one and, uh, you know, I was going racing every time. And uh, I was a real jockey uh, groupie, if you like, I'd be at the race, I'd be over the rail looking at what they're wearing, what gear they got, how to sit up, and, uh, you know, my wall was plastered with pictures of uh, Generous and Alan Munro, and that that's really where I got the bug around that time, you know, that style with the whip up in the air, and I uh, was never able to replicate that style, but it was, uh, you know, it was just really got the bug, and then Dad was training, and uh, you're riding out and riding ponies on the gallops, and then graduate to the quieter horses, so, you know, at, at the time, you could get a licence in Ireland at 15 years mm. old, so... From 13 years old, it was all about getting to that stage, you know, to get a licence. You mentioned Generous and Alan Munro. He was a, a real groundbreaker in his time, wasn't he? No one had ever seen anyone who quite looked like that on a horse when, when he was riding in the sort of late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, definitely not. You know, it was totally alien, if you like, to this Dunn style then and uh, the traditional style. And, uh, you know, I really latched onto that way of thinking. And uh, I used to go around the gallop with the letters up and toe up and usually get run away by my pony. <laughs> but that was... Uh, you know, just he was totally new and very stylish, and uh, you know something that you know really captured my imagination. And what did your what did your dad think of that when you were doing your Monroe impersonation on the <laughs> on the gallops? Did he say, "Come on now, drop your drop your irons a few holes"? Yeah, yeah trying to be a bit more sensible in that. But you know, you're young and you think you can uh, do anything on, on on a horse, and uh, you know he just encouraged me once I was enjoying it. I think that was the main thing. Making that transition from jumping to flat racing has become quite commonplace now. We've seen it with Graham Lee and PJ McDonald and Jim Crowley to, to great effect and, and many others. But you were a little bit of a, a groundbreaker in, in, in that regard at the time. When you were very young, could you have gone either way? Yeah, the biggest problem for me was weight-wise. You know, I just uh, was going, you know, from day one I was battling with my weight on the flat and uh, there was no all-weather racing and I was schooling jumpers over hurdles. We had a five-month break in the wintertime, so... I wanted to ride, so I'd just start riding over jumps, but then my weight was beginning to creep up, and, uh, you know, it was very much borderline, like I got up to 9.10, you know, I'd have to be sweating to do 9.7 over jumps in, sometimes in the winter, so, um, you know, that that's kind of where the jumping end of it came out, but funnily, funnily the, that first winter over jumps got me going career-wise in the flat, so I did, you know, on the back of a good winter over hurdles, you know. And I, I mentioned your, your Cheltenham Festival winner, Cairo One. You reminded me, you'd actually ridden him the previous year as well when you were 16? 16, I think, yes, yeah. I got beaten by top seas that year and, uh, you know, beat a couple of lengths and it was massive, massive to go back to next year and just, just win. You know, I thought a uh, three-way photo finish and we got by the line and uh, I didn't know if I'd won or not and I said, please don't be second again. You know, it's, uh, it was huge, huge to get that nod and get the photo finish result.
And now we are fully accustomed to seeing 14, 15 Irish winners in a week at the Cheltenham Festival. It was only three days then. And if Ireland had two or three, four winners in the week, it was considered a, a pretty decent result. That must have made that an even more intense experience, particularly in these colours. Yeah, big time. You know, uh, obviously Chris Roach was a big, big influence on my career as well. He looked after me very well, both when he was riding and training, and uh, we're in contact now, even now. And, um, you know, the McManus family have been there throughout and very, very good to us. And, uh, you know, just to get a winner in St. Patrick's Day as well, you know, so everything was aligned for, a, you know, an Irish winner that day. It was fantastic. And uh, it was only... It was only when I went back the next year at a couple of rides and they weren't much good and mm. you followed them around and it's only then you realise what an achievement it was actually to go and win, ride a winner there at that time. I was going to say you were so young at the time. Did you think, yeah, just this is the first <laughs> of many. I'll be, I'll be coming back and doing this every year. Yeah, um, I still get a bit of stick about it. But my first ever TV interview, I was asked, what, what are your ambitions going forward? And uh, um, I, I said I want to win, win the Gold Cup and the Grand National, so I didn't achieve them. But uh, <laughs> that's uh, priorities change a bit then afterwards, yeah. How clear in your memory is that day? Yeah, I can recall everything. It was actually, um, the previous year he travelled supremely well throughout the run. Uh, this year he did. He never travelled whatsoever. He was off the bridle all the way. Um, I got a new pair of goggles before I went out. They fogged up halfway down the back, so I had to pull them down. So I had very limited vision with kickback and everything. And uh, it was only at the between the third and second last, uh, as, as the field began to turn, he got running through them that he got motoring. And once he passed a couple, he really got running and... Um, probably took me to the front sooner than what was ideal you know he idled when he got there but when I turned to home Ben Barry Garty was on the inside I think in purple colours maybe maybe the party politics colours and he says go on Franny you know something like that and he got a flyer over the last and um, you know the last hundred yards was all out you know and he was a he'd be about the same vintage as you wouldn't he he'd have been a very young man at the time yeah I started a year before Barry because you know I was 15 he was 16 to get a jumps license but we've always remained in contact and uh, followed each other's career closely I think you know so Luck on Sunday proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai Welcome back. You're watching Luck on Sunday. I'm delighted to say that Fran Berry remains with us for the remainder of the programme. For the moment, he is joined by a man making his second appearance on the programme. He appeared in show two, season one, all the way back when, Stuart Williams. Great to have you back. Good to be here. Nice to see you again. And what does 2019 hold for the, for the Williams team? All going well at the moment? Yep. Yeah, we've got a nice team for this year. Probably the biggest team we've ever had. Um, we've got all weather finals day next Friday. Mm -hmm. We've got a couple of runners there. Obviously, we're taking on the big guns. We've got Wisher Hicken and uh, Catchy to beat in the two races I've chosen to run in, which won't be easy. But uh, they're both horses have been in good form all year and deserve to take their chance. And the thing is, if you're going to des design a race day like this and put all this prize money on, you want horses like Wisher Hicken and Catchy. I mean, you don't. Yes. But the day does. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It'd be handy for me if Wisher Hicken had gone to the Dubai instead, but uh, they chose to stay here. And has the has the winter season become more important for you because of this series? Um, m mostly because of, so I, indirectly I suppose so, mostly because of the prize money. Um, we've managed to win 200,000 in prize money this year. You know, for a stable hour size, that's a huge start to the season. You know, and it, it just makes such a difference to to what we can do going forwards. Even, you know, buying horses at the end of the year, if we've got a nice pot of money that we've won, yeah. 
we can then go and reinvest and try and get some better quality horses, which is what we're always trying to do. And I always think when I look at the, the tables, the jockeys and trainers tables, if you've got 20, 30 winners on the board before the flat turf season kicks into gear, it must make everybody's morale significantly better than it would have been otherwise. Just the whole exactly. yard must yeah, just yeah. feel a bit just better get, about the whole just game. just definitely gives you a lift. Having a winner gives you a bounce. And like I said, we've been in good form all winter. And um, now the horse has been running very well. Everyone's up for a good start to the season. And like you're, if you look at the numbers through your career, they've always been pretty consistent. But mm. I, I think I'm right in saying that the last 18 months or so has seen a, no, just a notch yeah. up to the next level. I took a decision. I could see that the... When the recession hit, I lost quite a number of horses and a few owners, and I had to make a decision that we're going to do something different, otherwise it was going downhill. We took a decision to try and aim for horses that are above 75. Mm. So when we actually win races, we can win some prize money worth winning. The, the, the prize money at the bottom, which is the row we've been having over the last couple of months with the race courses and the BHA and everything like that, in real terms, we're racing for less than we were 30 years ago. And it's just not economically viable to do that. Um, along with that, a couple of my long-standing owners invested some more money and have bought more horses. So those two things in tandem means that we've kind of moved it up a gear and um, at the moment it's working well. And are you finding that your, your owners are responding well to that? Very much so, very much so. Like I said, it, 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 it's so disheartening when you win a race and at the bottom level and they look at the Weatherby's account at the end of the month and they're in debit. It just doesn't make any sense, you know, and... Just having that few quid, keeping it ticking over at the higher level makes such a difference to how they perceive that they're doing with their horses. And it's, and it's all about keeping the owners happy. You know, without them, we're nothing. Doesn't this make you want to change your mind and make you want to become a, become a racehorse trainer? <laughs> I think I'll go as, as an assistant, maybe. <laughs> there you are. As a, 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 a vacancy open? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, we'd have Fran any day. It'd be a great asset to anybody, I imagine. Uh, what you need now, I guess, is just one or two horses just to push through to the, the proper top level. Yeah, we do. We do. We, we haven't had a top level horse. And um, definitely that would be um, a big, big boost for our stable if we could manage to find a top level one. And we might have something that gets there this year, hopefully. Oh, Oh, Hopefully. you can't tease us with that and then just no, leave it No, 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 just, you know, we hope. You always hope at this time of year everyone's got a yard full of horses that they, you know, hope are going to do well. Yeah. Well, the horses who did well yesterday um, came from sources perhaps that were not necessarily the obvious. A trainer who's had enormous success in the past, back in the big time, in the shape of David Ellsworth with Dan Do. It's a long time since Marcus Dragoning's been in the big time, but he was yesterday uh, courtesy of Mahatha. We'll have a look at Mahatha winning the Greenham Stakes. Now, um, it looked to me, Fran, as though this was more jump racing ground than flat racing ground at Newbury SA, and for any horse to show a turn of foot was quite impressive. Very impressive. Um, you know, he, he showed that Horace Hill win wasn't a fluke, and, uh, you know, travelled extremely well into it. And um, when he got there, he's run around a little bit and, you know, just, just going through the motions to an extent, but that turn of foot he showed to put the race to bed was very impressive. And he doesn't look to have a soft ground action, does he, either? 
No, um, he beat me in Nottingham actually in O's in a maiden uh, when it, on his first win and the ground's quite quick there that day, you know, so uh, over six furlongs, so he does show that he can act on it. Good pedigree, bred by the Johnson Hortons, closely related to Accidental Agent, their Queen Anne winner, so there, there are signs in the downside of the pedigree, Stuart, that he should get a mile. You see him galloping out here, he's taken a while to pull him up, which would give you hope, wouldn't it? Yeah, for sure, I mean, he's a very solid horse, um, obviously trained on well, and um, I'm sure they're delighted with him and will go to the Guineas full of hope. He beat yesterday what was a, a field of good horses, but he's got another step forward to, to get to the likes of too darn hot if indeed too darn hot takes his place in the guineas and whatever Aiden brings from Ireland 10 sovereigns Magna Grecia a really top quality two-year-olds from last year yeah he's definitely got to step up maybe you know just to, on what they, them three horse have done but he's um he's going to be a li- li- lively chance in, it in that he's got a good cruising speed which should suit him very well in Newmarket and uh you know, you wouldn't dismiss him by any means. The man who trains him is Marcus Trugonning. I spoke to him yesterday at Newbury. He joins us on the line now. Marcus, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Very well. And you sound like you're in particularly good form, which makes me think all is well with Mahatha. Yeah, no, he, um, he's taken his race very well um, and found and lost no weight. And um, so, you know, I don't think he um, had to do too much yesterday, possibly. I mean, I know I'm not trying to hype him too much, but... Um, you know, he, he he didn't have that hard a race. He caught his win very quickly after the race. Um, obviously, he was fit. Um, and we'll just see where we go. We were having a joke after the race, and you were saying you'd actually had quite a straightforward time with him. And I said, no, no, you have to make yourself sound clever and say that it's been a desperately difficult winter, and you know, you've you've got him here through through your own brilliance. But he clearly is a horse who finds life quite straightforward. Yeah, I know. He's he's in every way, quite honestly. I mean, he eats, sleeps. He has three sticks through the daytime and. You know, he'd, um, he, I know he's went, we, we had him out this morning just to, you know, give him a bit of a stretch his legs, the that sort of thing that you do after a race. And he went straight back and, um, you know, was tucking into his food. So it's lovely when they're like that. He's well settled. He's at peace with himself and, you know, long may continue. And I suppose it's that demeanour that gives you encouragement that he could, he could excel over a mile and more. Yes. I mean, you know, um, it, it's obviously everything's different about, going to Newmarket, we think about it, they've got to um, act on the track. I mean, most of them do, most of the mine seem to anyway, they seem to act on it, but, you know, that business of um, coming into the dip on the right leg and all that sort of thing, not getting unbalanced. But the, I think that the good thing about it is the cruising speed. I mean, he will, however fast they go, I think he'll be able to um, sit where he wants to sit. And then it's just a question of whether um, the stamina lasts out um, long enough, you know. But, um you know, we've very, very often said that the Guineas is a very good trial for the Derby, and so many of those horses, you know, finish in the first four, but like the Percy, they, mm. they go on and win the Derby. So it's, it's very often um, test their stamina a bit. Yeah, because you've got horses that really want to be stretching, 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 and for whom a, m- a mile is a bare minimum. For your horse, I think whatever happens, a mile is going to be the maximum. Oh, I'd, I'd say you're absolutely right. I can't see, you know, why we wanted to sort of change that idea anyway. And if he. You know, if he has to come back to sprinting at some stage, I'm not saying he, he will. I mean, but if there was a possibility in the back of your mind that, you know, seven fouls, six fouls might, might, be, might be his, uh, his trip one day, I don't know. But obviously, if Shea Hamdan wants to um, go have a crack at the 2,000 guineas, then it'll be discussed later on and we will um, we'll give it our best shot. Uh, we spoke a little bit about it yesterday, but, it, but it's worth revisiting. How important is it for you and your team at this moment in time to unleash another horse like this? 
Um, well, I can tell you, it's it's it's, it's poignantly important. <laughs> you know, we um, it's quite fun. And this morning, um, some of my staff came in who were uh, supposed to be having days off. They came in and, and mucked out and um, rallied round, and it was just very very nice to see that. You know, it's so, it's so important for everybody, including the team. I, you know, I've got some very good people work for me, and who've been with me for 18, 20 years, whatever. And um, you know, and some new ones coming on. They inspire the young, the, the young members of staff. You know, to get stuck in and enjoy what we're doing, which is all about, you know, um, looking after these horses and and loving what we do. I mean. We don't do it to make heaps of money. We just do it because we love it. So it, it's, um, you know, it's very important. I'm watching horses now as we speak, and um, it, it's a lovely morning. And I, I wish we could see for miles. There's no noise, no traffic noise, just just birds singing and uh, the horses walking by. So it's beautiful. It's a very good day for for Whitsbury yesterday, and the stallion showcasing as well. I'd I'd imagine that everybody down there is pretty pretty happy. Yes, I mean, you know, he's had a, um, a great start, you know, and he wasn't, um, um, you know, he started with um, some ordinary mares and, and um, they got loads of winners, and now he's getting a better type of mare, and um, obviously this horse will only help to I- increase that, and I'm mean, now hoping that one day, um, you know, Mahatha um, may be a sand himself, because, you know, they get, they get on a bit, and then they need a replacement, so um, I'm hoping this horse will be a stand but he has to win a group one or two before i mean that's uh on the cards i should think but you know he, he's he's a very nice horse with a as we discussed before with wonderful mm-hmm. temperament and um let's hope he's uh he's up to it well he has got a bit of star quality marcus there, there's no doubt about that and it's great to hear you sounding so positive as well have you have you always maintained that sense of optimism and positivity that another good horse or two would would come along or have at times you just re- you resigned yourself to the idea that that was in the past? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I think the thing is, you know, if you've been lucky enough to be able to go to the sales and, and buy a good horse now and again. You always think, well, you could do that again one day. You know, I think when Sir Percy was bought as a yearling, it was 16,000 guinea yearling, and I think there were something like 2,000 horses sold over that period of time at Newmarket and there was one Sir Percy. So, you know, I think, you know, we all... Um, you know, we all have these sort of dreams that we can do it possibly better than the next guy. Um, there are some very good young trainers coming on, um, some really, really good young trainers. And I think, you know, they're snapping our heels a bit, us old boys like myself. But, um, <laughs> but you know, um, no, I mean, I'm always optimistic and um, I love what I do. And, um, and you meet some wonderful people. And if you're lucky enough, you um, end up training a good horse or two. Marcus, thanks so much for talking to us. Best of luck with Mahath for the next couple of weeks. I sincerely hope we see him first Saturday in May at Newmarket. Thanks very much, Nick. Marcus Trigoni. Uh, great to hear him in such good form, and he was yesterday, and enjoying it. That's the main thing, isn't it, Stuart? Yeah. When you, you know, I know it's easy to enjoy it when you've got a good horse, but some trainers bear the burden of the pressure and they wear it so heavily. Yeah. He, he was really enjoying that yesterday. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it, it's hard work. We do it 24-7, 365 days a year. And you must enjoy it. You must love doing it. Otherwise, it will be a, a, a tiresome job. And I think his enthusiasm shone through there. You know, it's, as I say, this time of year, you're always hopeful. Sometimes we're disappointed by the end of the year, but uh, you restock and go again the next year. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel, Dubai.
One man that was supposed to be riding in the Scottish Grand National but wasn't because the ground was too firm was Jerry McGrath, and he joins us in the studio now alongside Fran Berry and Stuart Williams. Not quite the Saturday that you'd anticipated, but I don't suppose Beware the Bear owes you too much, Jerry. No, that's for sure, Nick. You know, um, we were up there on the Friday and the ground was, was good. It was probably, it was drying out. Um, as you know, with air, you're close enough to the coast, the sea breeze this time of the year. A bit frustrating, really, that we couldn't run yesterday, but the ground, it was too quick for him. You know, he's a big, old-fashioned national hunt horse, mm. you know. It was it probably by half three yesterday, it was good to firm ground, and it was, it was an easy decision, and hence why he was taken out at, like, quarter to nine yesterday morning. I rode him out yesterday morning on the track, and Nicky and myself, we decided that the ground... They put on a bit of water overnight, but it wasn't sufficient to take our chance. Uh, as I say, he owes you nothing. You won the, the Ultima at, at Cheltenham on, on him, and yeah, when you work for Nicky Henderson, there are so many horses on everybody's lips going into the, the Cheltenham Festival. Fair to say that he was just slipping nicely under the radar for you. So I'm guessing the pressure you felt might not have been quite as significant as it could be on one or two of the other horses. Yeah, exactly. It's probably a very, very good point. Um, it probably didn't, he probably didn't really get flagged up really too much until the Monday before Cheltenham or Matt Chapman at Plumpton was all over him. And I rode a couple of winners that day and he was just, every time I met him, he was talking about Beware the Bear. So, um, yeah. so he, was, he was putting a little bit of pressure on you. Yeah, exactly. And then the morning, or the, the opening show on the Tuesday morning, there was plenty of money out for him again. And thankfully, he went away and did it on the day, which was very good. He's a ter- terrific horse. When he's there in his rhythm and he's, he's doing his thing, he's, he's pretty high class. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, the handicapper agrees now he's off a mark of 160, you know. So the handicapper thinks he's a decent horse. And, <clears throat> you know, he, <clears throat> the, the application of blinkers this year have been a big thing with him. Um, he had his win done as well at the start of the season. And with both combinations, he's a different and revived horse this year. And for you, that role as, a, as one of the, the sort of support jockeys, if you like, at, at Seven Barrows, a role you've had for, for quite some time, how important was that win for, for your confidence, for the way you feel about the game, for, for your future in the sport? Yeah, massive, Nick. You know, it's incredible. You know, you get to ride all these good horses at home and, you know, even midweek and stuff. But to be put on a good horse like that on the big, big stage and he rewarded us. And like even on the day, I can remember pulling up and like everyone comes rushing towards you, whether it be photographers and presenters. And I actually had to think to myself for a second, is this the March festival? You know, you just have to remind yourself how, how big a deal it is to ride a Cheltenham Festival winner. Um, a lot of lads don't get rides at Cheltenham, never mind winners, and it was an incredible, incredible feeling, and one I'd missed for a few years. And, and as far as far as yes, because you you won on on Unartis a few years ago, of course, uh, uh, as well. Uh, and and uh, it struck me that there was a real sense of of pleasure derived within everybody at Seven Barrows for you, because you've been such an integral part of that team for quite a long time now. Yeah, exactly. There's, I suppose, we're all a big team. We all work together, and we all, we all want the same result. You know, winners at the big days and big festivals, and you know, um, it was great that it happened this year. And you just need that boost every so often just to keep you, like you said, keep you going forward, keeping you interested and keeping you sweet in the game, really, I think. And, and how do you see the next year or two panning out for you? What, what are your plans? Well, obviously, you just like to think that these good winners and, you know, on the big days, they'll just boost your career again and keep you going forward. Uh, I suppose, like anyone, you're, you're always trying to build your contact space and get on better, nicer horses and... Hopefully um, we can do that going forward. Because you've got that nice kind of blend now of being still pretty young and actually quite experienced at the same time. So it's a it's a sort of it's a nice point in your career in a sense. Yeah, exactly. You know, and being in in Nicky's as well, you're always riding nice horses at home, and 
like I like the breeding side of things as well, you know. So it's always um, it's a great place to be when you're involved with a few youngsters and things like that as well. Do you breed a few horses yourself? Yeah, I try. I have a few brood mares and um, I buy a few foals every year and things like that. So usually most of them are related to something that's in seven barrows. But yeah, we've been doing that for the last few years. And how are you getting on? Yeah, not too bad. Enjoying it. You know, it's a different aspect and it's a great way of kind of keeping you interested as well. You know. But so, would you be running them as parallel careers at the moment, or is the is the breeding side of things more a, more a hobby, or is that more the business? And the, how, how, how are you sort of marrying up the interests? Uh, the breeding is definitely just a hobby for the time being, you know, uh, that's for sure. Uh, I, like I said, I do a bit of work with High Flyer Bloodstock and, you know, David Mint and people like that, and uh, they're great people to learn off of, and um, hopefully it'll be a kind of a stepping stone later on. Because, I mean, as we've discussed, Fred, having a plan is, a, is kind of crucial, isn't it? You can't just be completely blinkered in your career as a rider unless you're multiple champion jockey or whatever. You've got to you've got to have other plans to to think about. But most definitely, and uh, time is going to come for everybody. And if you can have something um, just in your mind to move on to, you know, because um, uh, when I announced my retirement on the first of April, I was sat down on it. That was a Monday, and the Tuesday morning, Laura turned around to me and said, uh, "God, if you didn't have something in the pipeline, it'd be a very worrying time, you know." And if you can just be you know, to work through jets and things like that, make you more aware of there is more to life than riding, or you should be thinking that way anyway, and uh, it's most important. Let's take a look back at, at yesterday's action, because you were, you were there, Jerry, at, uh, at Air, so you've got a pretty good uh, perspective on things. Taking risk was the winner of the Scottish National. It looked a, a quite an unforgiving race, in a sense, as it often is. If the ground's riding quite, quite fast at Air, they don't hang around. You've got to stay really well. And this horse, for a horse of his age, relatively low mileage. Yeah, just I was surprised when I was reading the paper this morning. He's a 10-year-old. I mm. didn't actually think he was that old. Um, but I, I think it's very important for Northern racing as well and for, you know, to keep, I know, just to keep a big prize like that up the north. Um, obviously, it's great for Nicky Richards too. Reading there, his dad won the race twice. And fair play to him. It was a great performance and a massive day for Sean Quinlan as well. You know, he said it was his best ever season this year, and I think that's really just capped it off for him. And he, by his own admission, was saying in the aftermath of the race yesterday, had a few rough years, I was a bit wild, I've settled down now, I've got my career going right, and he's clearly in the right place mentally and physically, and, and the trainers are starting to take notice of that. Yeah, definitely, and you won't meet a nicer fella. You know, he's a very, very grounded, hard-working, nice fella, and he deserved a big day like that yesterday. And he gave the horse a fine ride, as Nicky Richards was keen to point out afterwards. Harry Skelton, who'd enjoyed such a fine weekend, he finished second on Caroline Bailey's cross part. What a mighty race that horse run off the back of the Ida, but it was uh, this horse here taking risks in the mauve silks of the bird family that won. I've had some wonderful success with horses trained by Mark Johnston down the years, Tartan Gunner and Tartan Giga and others, and it was a success for the North and a success for Scotland as far as the ownership's concerned as well, and an important win uh, for Sean Quinlan. And it's amazing what those cheek pieces can do to a, to a horse who's just getting a bit long in the tooth. Yeah, definitely. You know, they're just, just something different just to kind of sharpen them up. And, you know, a lot of horses that wear headgear aren't ungenuine, but it's just, it's a different aspect. Um, I can remember like Mr. Weld in Ireland, he's, he, he loves going for headgear at an early stage. And it's not because horses are ungenuine, it's just, it's just something different just to kind of focus their mind. Mm. And as John Gosden has always pointed out, two of the best horses of the modern era, Secretariat and Northern Dancer, both, both wore blinkers. It was cheap pieces for taking risks yesterday. And the man who took that risk, and it paid off handsomely, Nicky Richards, uh, joins us on the line now. Nicky, good morning. Good morning to you. Uh, and it, it, was, it was lovely to watch you after the race yesterday, because 
you're not a man who is prone to extremely demonstrative shows of, of emotion after a race, but you were clearly quite overcome by, by yesterday's result. Why did it mean quite so much to you? Oh, well, it's the, it's the biggest race, jumping race up in Scotland, no doubt about that. Uh, and it meant a lot to father. Uh, and we've tried a time or two to win it, and uh, it was a great moment for us all, you know. Oh, when you went into the race yesterday, your horse was a, a, a biggish price, but did, did you go in hopeful, confident, or neither? Well, I thought both of them were, were, were going uh, in there, both off back of wins and everything. Uh, they were both very well, and I just thought a week after the Aintree Grand National... It might be just slightly diluted sort of race, slightly lesser, but uh, it was still a very competitive race. Uh, so I was fairly confident that both uh, have strong each-way chances. Jerry McGrath sitting on my left here was singing the praises of Sean Quinlan, and that, that seems to have been quite a theme after the race. People quite pleased that he's got his career in the place where they feel it should be. Well, he, he's, uh, he's had a very good season. Uh, he, he's uh, he's had a long, hard apprenticeship at it, and uh, you know he, he, it's great for a man like Sean to have a good season like this. Yeah. And as far as this horse is concerned, he, he's a he's a tough horse. He's a ten-year-old, but as I say, he's not an over-raced ten-year-old. You said that you thought the cheap pieces had really, really made a big difference. Yeah, just make him concentrate a little bit. Uh, uh, I don't know. He was. Just lacking uh, a little bit of concentration, if that's the right word. Uh, and clearly, it, 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 it was the right effect anyway. You talked about your father winning the race. He won the race twice, uh, latterly in, in 1990 with four tricks. It was a 25-to-1 shot with Derek Byrne riding. And for good measure, he had the second that year as well with, I think, Tartan Trademark, was it, was, was second of four tricks in... In... Uh, that's right, a horse of David Stevenson. Yeah. He, he was a very good staying stay ass as well, but uh, Fortrix was a very good ass as well, so uh, it was great to do the one-two there as well, yeah. And, and, and fond memories of that. And uh, as I said, it, it clearly was a, a race that resonated with you quite, quite significantly. Um, you, you made the point that the, the stables in the, the great stables in the, in the north perhaps aren't getting quite the ammunition that their, their, their talents merit. Is, is that something you really feel quite keenly uh, on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, uh, you know, there's, there's some, I think there's some smashing trainers up the north, and hopefully I'm one of them. Uh, on the flat, uh, like we've got some out, outstanding flat trainers up the, no up the north, uh, and they've all slowly got the higher-powered owners backing them and, and hopefully we'll get the, the higher powered national hunt owners starting to realise that we can do the job up the north when we get a chance with, with some good asses, you know Nicky do you think it do you think in order for that to happen the the race courses in the north need to have a better program of, of quality jump racing for you to get stuck into or is it the case that the country's so small now it really doesn't matter where you train no, well, we've got some smashing race courses up the north, uh, and there's no doubt that we could do with some better races 
the better racetracks are uh, up the north, and uh, it's a bit of a, a shame that they've gone down the, the low-level handicap routes where if we could have some better races, it would encourage northern owners, even the southern owners, to have a horse or two trained up here, you know? And have you got, do you think, in your care at the moment amongst your young horses, some real stars that we can, that can fly the flag, if you like, for, for your part of the world in the next few years? Well, you hope you've always got some nice uh, young stock coming through. You've got, to keep, you've got to keep trying to buy nice young horses. And uh, I think I've got some lovely young horses for next year. Uh, uh, I'd say like the Ribble Valley. He's a grand ass. Taken flight, another one of uh, Frank Bird's. I'm quite sure he'll be a nice animal. That's a lovely horse. I ran in the last race yesterday, finished fourth. Just a big baby, and I thought he ran a smashing race. So I've got plenty of nice young horses coming through. Lots to look forward to, and at least a little bit of time to uh, enjoy the victory of taking risks yesterday. Nicky, thanks so much. Thank you very much, sir. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome back. You are watching Luck on Sunday. It's been some considerable time that I've wanted to have my next guest on the show and circumstances have conspired against us, but I have secured him now. He is quite simply one of the most recognisable faces in horse racing and quite often one of the most talked about, particularly at the moment for reasons that will become clear very shortly. He has been part of the racing firmament and furniture since the 1960s, when at the age of 22 he became the youngest commentator ever on the Grand National, subsequent to which he has worked for the BBC, for ITV, for Channel 4 Racing, where he really became a household name. He's been involved in some of the great stories of the sport. He's been involved in some of the most notorious controversies in the sport. He is always colourful, frequently entertaining, and certainly worth spending half an hour or so with and more recently, he has risen to fame in a rather more surprising way for, for this. If you're racing at Doncaster, this is the place to stay. It's the Crown Hotel at Bawtree. Come inside. And this is the bar. This is definitely the place to be. Are you well? I thought you were. I'm going to have a glass of champagne. Give me one of those. Look at this. Well, this is fantastic. Cheers, girls. Cheers. This really is a glass chandelier that adorns the marvellous restaurant here. This is absolutely fantastic. Enjoy this. It's wonderful. Come and enjoy it with us. This is one of the executive suites, and this, of course, is the wet bathroom. Oh, sorry, girls. And look at this. You can even watch it flat screen in bed and I've got to tell you there's something in the hotel bedroom here that you'll never find in any other hotel in Britain. He is of course Derek Tomo Thompson. Tomo good to have you on Luck on Sunday. Are you well? I thought you were. Well, yes we had to start with that. It, it had to happen I grant mm. you. Now this was filmed eight years ago mm, this was. promo for the Crown Hotel in, in Bawtree. Yeah. Are you slightly amazed by the reaction this has had? This Your 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 
suddenly part of the zeitgeist again, courtesy of Greg James it's on Radio Greg 1. Greg James, who does the early morning show between 7 and 10 on, on Radio 1. I thought Simon Bates did, but of course that was a long time ago. <laughs> so Greg started doing this about four weeks ago, and I started getting phone calls. Tom, oh, you're on the Greg James show. What? What? What's all this about? And apparently they've put the music to Medusa now. You know, yeah. are you well? I thought you were. And apparently it's zooming up the charts. <laughs> so it's all his fault. I, I blame Greg, who is playing incidentally at uh, Cheltenham and uh, the Guineas at Newmarket. So, so you've you, got to come and see. And have you, have you spoken to him and met him and talked <clears> about this? No, you? I've never met the guy before. Uh, we've, we've, talk, we've emailed and stuff mm. like that. And he wants me to, to come on and appear <laughs> after racing, you know, with the music playing and all that. But it, it, it is incredible. It's embarrassing that, you know. But they talk about the partridge factor, you know, and it, it's, it's a bit silly. But it's incredible. We've had 587,000 hits with that. So it's getting people involved, it's getting people racing, uh, and I think we've got a free night at the hotel whenever we want one, haven't we? <laughs> the last two sentences have just embodied Tomo, because you said it's embarrassing, yeah. but then you embrace it. Oh, absolutely. And you go with it. Yeah. See, because for most of us who, who are a bit more self-conscious... If we're embarrassed by something, we don't embrace it. But that, that you, you just get stuck in. You're so, you, you, you embrace everything you do you completely turn. wholeheartedly. You know, when you're reading a newspaper, you, you, you can turn the page back if you think there's been a mistake. But with TV, you're live. You just do it. Mm. You, can't, you can't stop and say, well, re-record that again. But you, you're the same as me. I like to turn it in one hit. And if it goes wrong, it's rather nice. People say, they never say, you did well the other day. But they say, oh, you got that wrong the mm. other day. And I rather, I rather like it. I, I think it's fun. And it's 587,000 hits. Now, if it had just done a normal, nobody would have seen it. That wasn't put on or anything like that. No. That was just, just natural. Yes, of course. But it's that natural enthusiasm. Damn right. And it's just keep, keep going. Absolutely. And it doesn't really matter how it comes out. This is me. Yes, it does matter. We do the homework. Mm -hmm. You know, we know there's a, a crystal chandelier. We know there's a whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, we try and do all our homework. But You knew there were two girls in the sauna. <laughs> of course. We planted them there. But, uh, you know, uh, you, you wouldn't be allowed to do that now. And by the way, what was the secret thing that it never, you'll, see in any, ne, ne, you'll never see well, in any other hotel? Have it. <laughs> Having stayed there, I know the answer yes, to the question. Yes, you do. Which You've been that, in that bar. That there's, there you could have been in the video. I, I, could, I could have been. There's a, there's a bit of me that's sorry that I wasn't, and there's a little bit of me that's quite pleased I wasn't. <laughs> um, they, they, there's black loo paper in the bathroom. It's bar, true. Which I, for some bizarre reason, I know. I've never quite, yeah. never quite figured it out. No. Um, but, Tomo, in your, in, your, in your book, you say, um, I, the first page of your book, you say... I don't know where Tomo ends and where Derek begins or where Derek Thompson begins and, and Tomo ends or mm. whether it's all a performance or whether there's a bit of me that's not a performer. But you, you, you leave us to our, answer the question. So is that there, that Crown Hotel Bawtree video, is that you, the real Derek Thompson, or is that Tomo, <laughs> the performer, or are, are they one and the same thing? You ask the family, they might say, no, that's not the performer, thank goodness. But, um, yes, there's a little bit, we're very lucky. You know, we have to put on a show. You know, you have to put on a show. You're spot on. You've delivered a 30-second piece to, to camera without saying, uh. He's the only <laughs> man I know who never says, uh. Honestly, aren't you? Um, yeah. So, but it, 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 I don't have as quick a brain as that, so sometimes things get a bit out of whatever. But 
racing, I think, is to be enjoyed. It can get yeah. very serious. He's got a rating of 145. He's taken out a 137. Oh, come on. Let's, let's make it more interesting. Let's try and get it. This horse, this jockey. You know, so when we're talking about, I was talking to Ryan Moore the other day. Did you know he goes for two 5K runs every morning before 9 o'clock? Yeah, things like that, which I think are interesting. In the old days, we could say, Frank, you know, who was he out with last night or whatever. But those are the things that I think people like. And I think it's not missing these days, but I like to make sport enjoyable. It's deadly serious. I do my homework perhaps more than anybody. Um, but at the same time, I like to make it fun. Isn't that what life's all about? What sucked you into the sport in the first place? What was oh. it about the game that made you think, I really want to work in that? I was six years old. My father took me to Stockton Racecourse, as it was then. And I can tell you every winner. I saw the, the, the money changing hands, uh, the smell, everything. Uh, to this day, I still enjoy it. I used to get the bus there when I was 11 years old. I used to get into the silver ring. I'd jump over the wall when the policeman wasn't looking so I could get into the members. And I'll tell you a true story. Years and years ago, <clears throat> Bob Champion and I, Bob is my best friend. We grew up together. Mm-hmm. We went to Redco Races. His dad uh, used to drive the Nackawagon. We used to go with him. He used to do the, he was the local huntsman. That's where we looked to ride. And we got there one day, and John Rickman, do you remember John Rickman? Mm-hmm. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, all that. He interviewed us, and he said to me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be a TV racing presenter like you. I was eight years old. And he said to Bob, who was 10 years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, I want to ride the winner of the Grand National. Incredible. And both of these dreams <laughs> came true. And by the way, Bob, I had coffee with him last night uh, at the Racing Museum uh, Cafe in Newmarket. Um, he's just got the all clear after 40 years, after 40 years from getting cancer. And he was there on Friday getting his test. He's got the all clear again. Incredible. You know, he's raised 15 million for the Cancer Trust. It's quite remarkable. And it's... he's completely de- devoted to, oh. to, to raising money and, and does so on a, on a daily basis. 15 million pounds 15. for the Royal Marsden. And he used to ride for your, for your mum and dad, didn't he? He did. He, he did. did. He rode a horse called Flying Orchid for them back in the 70s. Yeah. One used to win at Toaster and, and Chepstow. That's funnily right. enough, Paul Kellaway was the first person to win on the horse. Paul um, was mentioned. By the way, Paul Kellaway trained Donegal Prince, won the 82 Thank Swept. Thank you, Tomo. Ridden by John Franco. Thank you, Tomo. Just I, in I, case I, yes, you forgot. No, no, no. We, we, we got, we, 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 we definitely got there. It's not the first time, and it's not the last. We have worked together uh, several times in the past. Um, talk to me about how you are now, health-wise, because you suffered with cancer yourself mm. um, six, seven years ago. You wrote the book Too Busy to Die, mm. which was, I suppose, quite, quite a controversial title for the book in, it was in gl- some ways, but, but very apt for you. It was Glenn Tubby who came up with it, uh, the um, manager at, at Yarmouth. And good to see you've got it on your, your shelf. Yes, good that, to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> Too Busy to Die was, was true. When I got the word, um, the, the, the surgeon was sitting where you are. My wife and I were sitting here. And he said, by the way, you've got uh, cancer. Just like that. Uh, right. He says, I want you in tomorrow. This was in Addenbrooke's in Cambridge. So I want you in tomorrow. I said, I can't do tomorrow. It's Royal Ascot opening day. It's Frankel. And he gave me a look. My wife gave me a look. Uh, he said, OK, Wednesday. So I saw Frankel, which is great. And then I went in and had the surgery, then did the chemo, uh, which wasn't easy. I walked into this room, chemo room, it's called. There's about 50 people, and I was stunned. They all looked as if they were dying, which is not a silly thing to say, but it struck me. Come on, they're here to get well. That's what chemo does. You know, It'll get rid of the cancer and make you well. Mm. So you could either lie down or sit in a chair. Uh, so I said, right, I'm sitting in a chair. 
So I got my notes out, I got my thing out, pumping away. Um, and one day I, I opened a betting shop. I did the chemo in the morning, opened a betting shop in hunted in the, in the afternoon, and then came back and got more chemo. I was absolutely gone by six o'clock at night. Um, it, was, it was hard. But it was a, a friend of mine who, who suggested perhaps working one or two days a week. So if he could work one or two days a week, I could work more. And to keep that focus, uh, and Henry Cecil is going through the, the same thing, you know, to keep your focus on it. And I'm proud I, I did it. One day it went wrong. Uh, the chemo was bad. And I started burning up and literally collapsed in the chair. And I had five people dragging me onto a bed and they were pumping me and everything. And the next thing I remember was Bob Champion at the end of the bed. Five hours later, I opened my eyes and there was Champ. And he said, you've caused a bit of excitement here today. Mm. Mm. And did you think then, I've got to stop this? I've got to, I've no. got to reappraise no. how I... No. Do it. Do it. I mean, Tomo, you take, you take workaholic to a whole new level. I, I work a lot. <laughs> I, know, I know in this industry, especially when you're self-employed, mm. you, you've got the fear of not having the, the job. Yeah. You've got all sorts of things spurring you on. You. You've got young kids. Yeah. You've got to pay, you've got to pay the bills. Fair. I get it, I but get you, you do take it to a whole new level and always have done. What, what do you think is inside you that, that made you like that? Is it something from your parents? You. Yeah. When my father died, he was a very successful guy um, about 30 years ago, and I remember him dying. He, died, he had cancer. He was at James Cook Hospital in Middlesbrough. Sadly, my mother passed away a, a few weeks ago as well. She was a brilliant lady. At 100, aged 100? 100 years old. Yeah. She was outstanding, absolutely outstanding. And um, I, I felt as if the safety net had gone, which perhaps a lot of people might feel when the dad, you know, who provides. Mm -hmm. And from that day, I, I made a vow when I came out, never, ever take a day off. And I don't think I've taken a day off since then. And it was that that drove you to this right. philosophy? To make certain that I could always provide, always. And th there is a fear, you get old, people don't want you anymore, whatever, but that drives you on. You, 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 it, right, I'll open that door instead of that door. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like driving along and you, that lane's stuck, so you try the other lane. I know that's a silly thing to say, but uh, Saeed bin Suru hasn't had a day off in 25 years, and he's won nine Dubai World Cups. So it, it, it works for me. You're reading your book. You are you are quite self-critical. Oh yeah. And you have an acute awareness of what people take the Mickey out of you for. Yeah. I.e., being quite fond of money, uh, not wishing to part with it particularly easily. And that is completely and, untrue. And, you work, know. <laughs> and working and working too much at the expense of whatever else might be going on in your life. But you beat yourself up quite a lot about mm. all those things. Mm. So there is a self-awareness of it. Oh yes. But you're not apologetic. Oh, yes, if I made a mistake, yes, I'm, I'm the first one to, to apologise. But no, I, 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 I'm, it, it's not an act. I, I enjoy it. Mm. We are paid to go to the races. Mm. Other people have to work. You know when we stop for a bottle of Lucasade or a Mars bar at a shop? We're in there 60 seconds. Those people who are in that corner shop are there from 8 in the morning, sometimes till 8 at night. They can't leave to go racing, you know, talk to some of the most famous people in the world. We are very, very lucky. And so... Whatever you had done, whether it had been racing, television, or any other job, do you think you'd have applied the same principles to it that you do to the one that you're doing? Yes. Why not? I can't understand people who say, thank God it's Friday, you know, and, oh, it's Sunday night, we've got to go back to work on Monday. Why? Saturday and Sunday are the same. There could be eight days, and I'd vote for eight days in the week. 
I would. It's quite interesting because I, when I started working with Channel Four, you were very much a, a sort of senior member of the of the team, and mm. as was John McCrick, of course. Yeah, John. And although you are poles apart in many respects, your your work ethic is actually quite most quite prof- similar. Completely driven by the by the enthusiasm for the game and for the business of television. I love it. The, the horse racing and the horses and the people involved. You get the king and queens, the shakes. You get you and I at the bottom. You know, and people and everybody in between. It's, a, it's perhaps the one sport that encompasses everything. And you've got the horses. You know, that, that's what it's all about. You stand on the gallops at Newmarket, you watch the horses going up. You watch the racing, they're stretching for the line. Others aren't quite as good. Oh, second. That's what it's all about. The money changing hands and the betting ring. Wow, it's got everything. Hasn't it? It has. It has. Of all the, I said four decades at the beginning of the programme to make you feel better. <laughs> but it's actually more like six yeah, yeah. In in racing, yeah. and and right at the heart of the sport as well, and some extraordinary stories along the way. In all that time as a broadcaster, what are you what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of trying to make racing enjoyable. That's what I'm most proud of. Apart from providing for my family and mm. all the, the the basics, that's that's what I'm I'm proud of, and I hope people. You know, they come up to you, say, I enjoyed the show on Sunday and all that. And it's lovely when people do that. And it is, it is great. And as long as I can still do that, uh, do the commentating now, and people come up and they say, um, it's a photo. Sam Twiston Davis always go, Tomo, it's a photo. And uh, it's not put on. It, it is a photo. Yeah. And it's exciting. And that's what it's about. And photograph, photograph. So, and I enjoy it. I get excited. Why shouldn't I get excited? Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel, Dubai. Welcome back to what can I describe as a somewhat surreal uh, Luck on Sunday. Um, I don't know, two things I've done today make me question um, myself. One of them is inviting Derek Thompson on the show, obviously. Thank you for your wonderful exit stage left before the break. And the other is uh, bringing my daughter into work for the first time, who is is now sitting in the producer's chair and uh, talking to me through my uh, ear while I'm trying to talk to you. It is somewhat off-putting. But anyway, it all seems to be working okay. Some people say it's an improvement. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Good job I didn't say that. Certainly more more vocal than my normal producer. Anyway, um, (laughs) as we talk about the Wondermare Winks, 33 consecutive wins, 25 Group 1 victories, £14.5 million in prize money. And uh, 1,500 days since she was last defeated in her career comes to an end. It's about as perfect as you can get, isn't it, Stuart? Yeah, I mean, I, to, to just get any horse to peak that many times in so many top-class races is just absolutely amazing. She's absolutely fabulous mare and been tremendously hand, handled by a, another genius trainer. Like all top-class racehorses, even the great Frankel and Secretariat before him, she has divided opinion. But one thing you, you cannot deny is her extraordinary ability, her amazing talent, her brilliant consistency, and the engagement with the racing public of all her connections, chief amongst them uh, her owner, Debbie Capitas, who's a friend of the show, has been sitting in the, in the chair that Derek's occupying today and joins us on the line now. Debbie, uh, good morning, good evening. Uh, wherever you are and whatever time it is. Thank you, thank you. Yep, no, I'm home in Australia and it's evening. So good morning to you in in London. Um, 
we've spoken about this amazing mayor so many times on this programme. Are, are you about as happy as you can be with the way that she is bowed out? Is that the way you wanted to finish? Is that the time of year, the race? Has everything gone as you'd planned when we spoke uh, last autumn? Uh, look, it has gone to plan. Um, yes, we, didn't, we weren't sure we, whether we'd get the, this autumn out, that she'd be well enough and want to race enough for this autumn. But it all showed at the end of the Cox Plate that, yes, she was on song and she would carry on. And, um, yeah, so it couldn't have been a better result than yesterday. Um, the crowd, the people, everything was, was just wonderful. And in terms of the impact she's had on Australian racing and an Australian society, can you get your head around that? Oh, not really. Um, it's quite strange to, you know, have, have normal everyday public wishing you good luck during the weeks leading up to it. And the way people have looked at the mural of her that's been done... Um, and, and they're commenting on it and telling you about it. Um, it's just unbelievable that she's touched so many areas uh, of the general public. And has touched racing globally as well, which relatively few horses outside their own country can do. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, to have gone to America for a People's Choice Award, um, I would have said that was unheard of and would never happen. Uh, how touching was that? And and then to have His Highness uh, Sheikh Mohammed um, to have won his People's Choice Award. They're voted on worldwide, and I know that, that the votes did come from uh, every country, not just Australia. What do you think her legacy will be, Debbie? I think it's the, uh, the main thing to me, her legacy, is that if you strive for, for greatness, and you look after and care for athletes well and have luck on your side. She was lucky not to have um, been, get an injury or, or an illness that prevented her from running. Um, you can achieve amazing things, uh, having everything work towards the, a, a good goal and, a, and, a, and achieve that goal. Um, that's a brilliant thing to do. She she is remarkable. She retires in, in one piece. How, how are you feeling about her next career? I'm excited. Um, I think it'll be... It, it's going to be a thrill to, to just have to make those decisions and and um, then to see the progeny as, as they're born. I'm under no big illusion that she will produce a, um, an amazing horse herself, but there's always a chance. Some good horses have produced um, fair racehorses themselves. Some good mares have produced fair racehorses. But I believe she'll create and keep going a dynasty of, of good thoroughbreds. Her mum did it by producing her. Look at look at her dad, Street Cry. He had the amazing Zenyatta. Who would have thought she'd get another mare within the, that, that shorter time frame from him? So I believe she will, will further that dynasty. And um, I can't wait to hopefully see either one of her daughters or sons do something or her daughters produce something that does, that does well on the track. And what is the breeding plan, Debbie? Uh, we haven't made a plan yet. Um, we are racing people primarily, so 
Um, rather than cloud our judgment, we decided we'd just enjoy this last prep of hers and we'll get together in the next two weeks and get consultants and different people to give us ideas and primarily we'll just make the decision ourselves. There's, there's a big team of us, um, so there's a lot of, lot of different ideas and we'll go from there. And as I said to everybody, we don't need to rush it because whoever we want her to go to, I'm sure that Dunyan will be available. Yeah, I suspect, <laughs> I suspect you might be right. Uh, but am I right in thinking she will stay down under? You're not going to travel her to be covered? We haven't decided anything like that. Um, I'm not saying she's going to go overseas, but I'm not saying she's not. We've got to look at everything. It's a global industry, but that doesn't mean we will decide to go overseas and it doesn't cut overseas off. It's, it's, we haven't made any of those decisions at all. So Frankel is a possibility? Oh, I, I, look, he'd have to be on the list, wouldn't he? <laughs> I'd say so, Debbie. I'd say so. I would say so. I would say so. And, you know, some others have thrown in Dubawi and then I, you know, you, you, well, look at, there was always someone said Deep Impact because that's where her mum went. But um, he's not serving Southern Hemisphere time frame. So, um, you know, he's not an option. But look, there's so many good stallions here in Australia and we have such a healthy industry that um, why not keep her here the same as send her over there? So... Um, what a decision. How would you guys go? Do we get out a pen and just plant it on something or do we really analyse it out? All right, well, let me, let me, I'll, ask the, I'll ask our guest in the studio here, Debbie. Stuart, if, if she was yours, where would you send her? Uh, if she was mine, I would probably stay in Australia, but I'd be encouraging Debbie to send her over to Frankel. <laughs> Frankel, <laughs> Dubai, Galileo, like what, what do you think, Jerry? I, obviously, it's a great position to be in and she's a very lucky woman, but... For me, I think she'd have to be coming over here to be covered. OK. And Tommy? Uh, Dubawi, who I think could be champion side this year, and uh, Frankel are two obvious ones. And there's also Galileo, who's 21 years yeah. of age, and boy's done pretty well. There you are. Um, that's made, you, that's made your decision no easier, has it, Debbie, to be honest? You've got three different answers. Uh, well, no, 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 but those three stallions that were mentioned are all on the list. I can tell you that. Well, that's They're on my list. That, 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 that is heartening to know. I think they'd just be about to be on anyone's list. Listen, you've been a brilliant sport uh, all the way through. You've, you've given us a, an amazing amount of time, and I know that that is only a, a tiny, tiny, tiny drop in the ocean of media inquiries that you've had uh, from, from everybody in Australia and around the world. So appreciate that and uh, enjoy her retirement. Oh, thank you. And look, we, we all, the ownership group and, and the team behind Winx, Chris and, and you and, and everyone involved, thank all of the pe all the people around the world for taking this wonderful mare of ours into their hearts and enjoying their racing. All the banter, all of the naysayers. Um, she proves them wrong time and time again, but um, you can't convince some people. Uh, so thank you all for your interest and your love of the horse, and um, let's hope we get something else to watch. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.